1: Tommy's here. I am here. The show is always presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to WindowNation.com. Also, just a reminder, I mentioned this the other day, February 2nd, a week from tomorrow night, BethesdaTheater.com for tickets to see 980 and 1067 The Fan together. I'd love to see some of you out there. I'll be there for the entire evening. Uh, This from... Frog on Twitter. I know Tom was being sarcastic, but I actually 100% agree. If there was ever a documentary on RG Knee, you both certainly have to be included. Prominent local sports radio hosts during all of it. Uh, I don't see how they don't include y'all. I don't think Tom was being sarcastic at all. I think you would expect to be a part of that.
2: Yes, if they were going, if they were going to pretend, if it wasn't going to be produced by R. G. Three himself, you know, documentaries these days—they're love letters, (laughs) and not really documentaries. And uh, I think a lot of people would just like to write a love letter about R. G. Three and leave out the bad parts.
1: (laughs) Um, if well, obviously, if if he produced that, that would be the fear, right? You know, it's just like anything else. When somebody who hasn't lived it ends up taking it on as the project and they produce it and they maybe have a different impression going in about RG3 as an example and maybe they were a big fan and they think they're about to do this documentary on one of the greatest one-year uh, quarterbacking yeah. seasons of all time and and then somehow the the franchise ruined – like you really – I'm not saying all documentarians wouldn't look into it and change their mind if they had a predisposed kind of idea of of how the story went. But you'd really need somebody that lived it day to day to be in charge of that thing. Um, And I'm not saying that we would be the right people, because I think we would go in with sort of this initial thought of, Oh, my God. Wait till we tell you what this guy was about. Yeah. yeah. But it would have to be somebody that that was familiar with sort of both sides of all of it because there's probably a lot to the side of the team that could have been done differently. And certainly the owner could have done things a lot differently.
2: Yes, absolutely. But uh, no, we just want to be, we just want a phone call and an interview. That's all we want. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to do the documentary.
1: <laughs>
2: no, we're no. too busy working on the documentary about us. To yeah, be dealing with rg three.
1: Yeah, that is a. That's one of those ESPN shorts. One of those ten minute shorts. <laughs> the one on us. Um, <laughs> hey, don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Really helpful when you do it. Five stars. Quick one to two sentence uh, review on Apple. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Rate us and review us. Really helpful uh, as well. Um, So uh, there are several things that I want to touch on, uh, and I think we'll save the Wizards conversation, uh, the uh, relinquishing of his head coaching duties, Wes Unsell Jr., the move into the front office on the same day that Ted wrote this very long letter Um, to uh, all of his fans and supporters about the monumental sports and entertainment plan for the teams to move to Virginia. We'll get to that. I want to get to the Maryland win last night as well. But I wanted to start with this. I had Steven Spector on the show yesterday. You remember Steven, who produced uh, our show usually as a fill-in for Mark when Mark was out. (laughs) Um, Steven's been running Sports Talk Radio in Kansas City for 11 years, and he's a massive Chiefs fan. But um, I didn't necessarily talk to him about this subject, but it kind of came to, um, through the conversation I had with him, I started thinking about it after the show, and I talked a a little bit about it on radio today. We actually took calls, and it reminded me of something that I'm pretty sure you said fairly recently. You said, correct me if I'm wrong, that you think Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback you've ever watched.
2: Yes. He does things at quarterback I've never seen people do. Now, again, you always have to take into account the rule changes and the game changes. And, you know, you have have to consider, could Roger Staubach have done these same things? You know, if he played in this era, the Roger Storeback of the 70s played today with the protection that quarterbacks have and the rules that favor the offense, that's the first guy I would think of who would benefit from that, who, who plays like Mahomes plays, and he might even be better. So I understand all that, but we can't quantify that. So Pat Mahomes plays quarterback better than anybody I've ever seen. And you know me, I'm an old-school guy. I used to say Johnny Unitas was the greatest for years. Uh, It's rare. I'll take a contemporary athlete and say he's the best ever. But this guy just just amazes me with his composure uh, under pressure and his ability not to make the key mistakes under that pressure.
1: Staubach's a good one, by the way. I think Tarkington would be another one from that era. Yes. Yes, I do.
2: But I think Staubach was just a better quarterback. I do too. And a better player. But Tarkington would be a good one as well.
1: Tarkington's numbers were better, you know, but Staubach obviously started later because of the naval commitment and also ended his career. Um, you know, rather quickly. In fact, let me just pull this up. I don't think Roger Staubach's career lasted more than 10 or 11 years because his first season in the NFL, I think, was like 1969 or 1970, um, and his last game was the 79 regular season game against Washington, and then they had the one playoff game. Yeah, 69 to 79 was his career. Roger Staubach only started – 114 career games. Uh, by comparison, Fran Tarkington started 239 yeah. games.
2: He, um, he played about 17 seasons.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah and back. when
2: he retired, he had all the passing records. He did. The yardage, touchdowns, and it took a long time for someone to pass him in career touchdowns.
1: I think it was Marino, right? I think Marino ended up. It probably uh, was. I think the the records that Marino set set. I think, I think he passed Tarkington. I think that's right. Uh, I'd have to look up. Parked
2: threw three hundred and forty-two career touchdown passes, which was uh, a lot more than anyone else had done before, and it took a while for someone to surpass that number. And I think Marino may have been the guy.
1: Uh, here it is. All time, Brady's one, Breeze two, Manning, Favre, Rogers, Rivers. So we're talking? Yeah, then Marino. So Marino, um, in that era, became the all-time leader in touchdown passes. Uh, Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, Eli, Stafford, Tarkington. Yeah, Tarkington was yeah. the next one. So Marino passed Tarkington, and then um, probably the first to pass Marino was Favre. I would assume that Favre was the first to pass Marino. Um, Probably. I think that's probably true. Um, And then in passing yards all time, again, Brady, Breeze, Peyton, Favre, Roethlisberger, Rivers, Ryan, Marino, all right, uh, Rogers, Manning, Stafford, Elway. So Marino, no, Elway didn't. Marino passed Tarkington there too. Yeah, Tarkington's still 14th. On that list. So it, it got me to thinking about the following. I, I would not, I agree with you that watching Patrick Mahomes, that, you know, he looks like one of the greatest quarterbacks when you're watching him of all time. And the bottom line is, is that if he retired before even this season uh, began, um, he'd be a first ballot Hall of Fame. I mean, he already has two MVPs, two Super Bowl MVPs, in six seasons of starting, six Pro Bowls, two-time All-Pro first team, um, 28,000-plus yards, 219 touchdowns. Uh, He would be a a lock Hall of Famer. But I think that his career up until now – While everybody looks at him as one of the all-time gifted, all-time talented quarterbacks that's ever played the game, even though he's only played six seasons, you wanted to see something that you didn't get a chance to see until last weekend and then this coming weekend, and that is him going on the road in the postseason and winning. Not only winning, but winning with a team that isn't supposed to be a very good team. It's the worst team offensively he's quarterbacked in the six years that he has started. It's probably actually the best team defensively. But he went and beat Buffalo last week, and that's an accomplishment. His first road playoff game, he got a road playoff victory. But Buffalo was a beat-up, beat-up defensive team.
2: Yes. Yes,
1: absolutely. If they go into Baltimore on Sunday and he plays well and they win the game and they go on to win the Super Bowl, again, with him leading the way, the win over Baltimore against that defense, that team in that building on Sunday and then to go on to win another Super Bowl, that will be the the, the moment, I think, that anybody that's on the fence – on Mahomes can't be on the fence anymore. It will be the,
2: the, cr- the crowning moment. It'll be the
1: – at the moment he's got a lot of career left, it'll be the defining moment of his career. It'll be the most significant yeah. moment of his career because I don't think that they can beat Baltimore. I shouldn't say that because it is Mahomes quarterbacking the Chiefs. But I, I think the Ravens know, are you know, a Kevin, great team.
2: I don't I, – I said the same thing – uh The other day to uh, my son, I said, I just don't see how the Ravens can get beat unless they beat themselves. Unless, you know, Lamar has key fumbles and interceptions that Kansas City capitalizes on. I see a Baltimore defense that is not only good, but it's punishing. They're not only good, but they're tough. And I see them going against a Kansas City receivers that are not only not that good, but soft. It's a bad combination for the for the Chiefs.
1: I think the Ravens I mean, I, are going to win big. Just,
2: yeah, I'm just blown away. Uh, not blown away, but I'm, I'm I'm kind of taken with how how Kyle Hamilton may wind up being when by the time the season is over, considered one of the best defensive players in the league.
1: <laughs> he was the guy that I wanted Washington to draft. But I, I, uh, I did I you were
2: you're very good at this buddy I'll did, give you that.
1: I I didn't have a problem though when they traded back and drafted Dotson. So it's this isn't a Kawhi Leonard NFL moment. This was no. uh Hamilton was the guy the whole off season that at 11 I wanted them to draft. Um but when they traded back and picked up other picks they picked a player that I really liked, too in Dotson yes. uh which I may be wrong about. But but, ba- but back to the Ravens. Uh, Kyle Hamilton yeah. Yeah, he's, Kyle
2: Hamilton. He's, One thing he's a Mensa member. He has, he's brilliant. Oh, so he smart. He has an off the charts IQ. Yeah,
1: so smart. And he's <laughs> and he's he's a superstar already. But back to Mahomes yes. for a moment. That's why I think this is the moment because. This doesn't – they're only three-and-a-half, four-point underdogs, okay? It's not like they're double-digit underdogs on the road. Um, they're, they're a shorter favorite than actually I would have guessed, which makes me a little bit concerned about my my real con, – I'm convinced that the Ravens are better and they're going to win this game. By the way, I don't think this game is going to fit into the smell test one way or the other. The action's pretty split on the game uh, overall. Um I'm just saying that if Mahomes beats this Baltimore defense and they win the game, not because Lamar Jackson turned it over, not because Gus Edwards fumbled, um, but because Mahomes threw for, you know, 290 and and three touchdowns, including the game-winning drive, that's his moment. And, you know, I, I think they'd have a chance to go on to win the Super Bowl. But even if they didn't, I would then just say, Brady the greatest all-time winner, but Mahomes now is in the conversation of just the flat-out greatest quarterback we've ever watched. So you agree with me on that, correct? You, I mean, yes, you've I agreed anyway. So I, now I want to talk about Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson wins on Sunday and then goes on to win a Super Bowl, and Lamar Jackson is sitting there now with a ring – and he's going to, more likely than not, win his second MVP in this uh, offseason. Right? He'll have two MVPs, he'll have four Pro Bowls, he'll have three All-Pros, and let's just say he's got a ring and a Super Bowl MVP in three weeks. Do you start to consider Lamar Jackson as one of the greatest quarterbacks that's ever played? I'm not saying – this is a different conversation than the Mahomes, Brady, Manning, Elway, Montana, Marino. This is now – does Lamar Jackson start to to enter the conversation with Steve Young, with Staubach, with Aikman, like borderline top ten?
2: You know – I think maybe he does. You know, if, if just briefly, if we compare him to Mahomes, uh, Mahomes got started on his greatness right from the start. As soon as he started playing, starting, after he sat for his rookie year. Right. You know, it's taken Lamar a while to get to this point.
1: L- Lamar was the MVP in the his first full season starting. I know that. Yeah.
2: I know that. I know that. But uh, his, he's had a number of playoff failures, right? So it's it's taken him a while to get to this point. Uh, I wouldn't consider him certainly in the top ten. I would have to evaluate if he's a top twenty all time NFL quarterback.
1: Okay, I'm I'm that was my first reaction this morning when. My producer, Denton, said if Lamar were to go on, win his second MVP, he'd have the same number of MVPs as Mahomes. He would have been the guy in this era that beat Mahomes and won the Super Bowl. Burrow didn't do that. He beat Mahomes in an AFC title game at Arrowhead, but then lost the Super Bowl. Um Lamar would have shred you know, shredded completely the idea that he couldn't win in the postseason. I actually think that Saturday's game against Houston was a big sort of, you know, weight lifted off his shoulders. I it didn't even seem he was playing that way. He was so great in the second half. But I did think that there was some pressure on Baltimore and on Lamar when that game started, because the last time they were the number one seed, The year that he was the MVP, they got destroyed by Tennessee in the first game in Baltimore, um, and that ended uh, their season. And you know he had a one and three playoff record coming in. He's he's now two and three. I my reaction when Denton said I I think he that he automatically becomes like a top eight to twelve quarterback of all time. And I said no 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 no. It's It's whether or not he starts to sort of get into the conversation of the top 25 quarterbacks of all time. And then I started to go through the list, Tommy, and you start to look at the accomplishments of some of the others. There would be very few great all-time quarterbacks that were two-time MVPs and a Super Bowl MVP. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, Steve Young would be the comp. Like, for me, I think Steve Young's all, almost been somewhat underrated in terms of his career. He was a two-time MVP, and he was, um, you know, a three-time Super Bowl champ, but only two with him as the starter. You know, the other two right. with Montana as the starter. Uh, but. That, th- that's the comp in terms of the style of play. And if Lamar gets one and he's got two MVPs and he's got a long way to go, and I think Steve Young is a top 10 quarterback or right there, right around 8, 9, 10 somewhere, I've always had him that high, then Lamar's not that far behind. He's not at 25. He's probably no, he's closer not. to 15. No.
2: Yeah, I think he's under 15, between 10 and 15 maybe.
1: Yeah, because I made yeah. like I made this list, you know, and I'm not including. Sorry, but and you can do it in yours. Baugh or Otto Graham. Okay, I'm I'm looking at like post merger um, quarterbacks: Brady, Manning, Elway, Montana, Marino, Unitas, Mahomes, uh, Rogers, and Young. Okay, those those are the quarterbacks that to me. And in the order, I don't even care about debating the order, but those are like the nine that I've always had, kind of in my top nine, you know. And then after that, you know, guys like um, I, I'm not a Favre guy, uh, I am a Staubach guy. I am uh, I'm not as much a Breeze guy as I am, maybe more of a Warren Moon guy. But you start getting to that next batch of quarterbacks, and you know, uh, Lamar would be in the conversation. Of like, you know, 10 to 15 if he were to get this done.
2: You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Moon, Warren Moon, and Breeze. I mean, I would pick Warren Moon as a greater quarterback than Drew Breeze. Uh, Even though uh, Warren Moon has never won a Super Bowl. Uh, Look, I I think you're right. I think Lamar is in the top 15. That 10 to 15 conversation, if he wins the Super Bowl and his second MVP.
1: Yeah. I, I I don't know if it's ten, but it's probably no worse than fifteen. And I think that would surprise people that are listening. I think, you know, people would say, wait a minute, you know, he Just last summer, the the Ravens were somewhat hesitant as to whether or not they were going to give him a contract. He didn't finish last year. He didn't finish the year before. That's been the issue with Lamar Jackson. That's why this is really an opportunity he needs to pounce on because I think the big question with him is how many of the next – five seasons where he is the starter because he has essentially been the starter in Baltimore for five years. Yes, he played in twenty eighteen. He ended up playing in that playoff game um, you know, against the Chargers. Uh, but um it's been five years. To play another five, how many of those five are is he gonna complete? Cause there is a risk with that with him of being able to complete a season. He's been healthy this year. He's been great this year. He is a spectacular player. Um, but uh, let's see what happens head to head with Mahomes. The other thing that would be in sort of the uh, would be a feather in the cap for Mahomes is that if he beats a feather in the cap for for Jackson, excuse me, if he beats Mahomes and wins the Super Bowl. Well, that's something that Josh Allen hasn't done. That's something that Joe Burrow hasn't done. Burrow's beaten him, almost beat him twice, but didn't win the Super Bowl. Lamar would then be the guy that would be of the, this group below Patrick Mahomes, would ascend to, the, to that, the, that at least perceived next spot. Even though I think I would take Josh Allen in front of Lamar Jackson if I were drafting quarterbacks. might even take Burrow. I don't know. Big big weekend this weekend. That yes, game is, is that game's the much more interesting game for me. I, I can't wait to watch that game Sunday.
2: Absolutely. I'm with you 100%. I mean, great. I don't think in the other game we're ever going to be mentioning Jared Goff or uh or Brock Purdy among the great quarterbacks of all time.
1: No. No, the two best quarterbacks Um, And I think the best team and that best team has to go through the best team of the last, you know, six seasons for all intents and purposes uh, to get back to a Super Bowl. Um, You know, the other conversation, too, is just Andy Reid. I mean... The idea, if Reed ends up winning another one, and he goes through Baltimore, and then let's just say beats San Francisco in the Super Bowl, and now Andy Reed is a um, you know is a, is a Super Bowl winning coach three times. Um, it's amazing, man. Andy Reid's career. I mean, it was only six years ago basically that Andy Reid just couldn't get it done in the postseason he was a bad game and clock management coach um you know terrific offensive guy you know a, a hall of fame coach but nowhere near the top of the list you know you you'd have you'd rip off eight nine coaches before you'd name Andy Reid and now, after after drafting Patrick Mahomes and starting Patrick Mahomes, he could be on the verge of a third Super Bowl. Not to mention, he's been to the Super Bowl several times. Yes. Beyond that, um, yeah, yeah, Andy Reid.
2: It, I mean, this is a big, it's a big game for for the legacy of a lot of guys on Saturday. Those three guys. It's a leg- It's a legacy game. I mean I don't, think, I don't think if any of them lose it diminishes their legacies but I think if 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 they win it significantly enhances it.
1: It significantly enhances Mahomes's um it really advances Lamar Jackson's understanding both of them have a long way to go. For Andy Reid it now puts him into the conversation of, you know, if you've got Belichick one, it puts him in the conversation with guys like Shula and Landry and Gibbs. You know, it it, it puts I'm I'm forgetting somebody I'm sure, Hallis, I guess you would say. Um, but it would put him in that uh mix of, you know, if you've got Belichick one, and not everybody does because of the last few years and him not doing much without Brady. I personally think in terms of give me a coach for one season, I'll take Shula, but Belichick is the greatest winner of all time. Um, But Andy Reid, and who knows how much longer Reid's going to do this. Do you know what um, Schefter suggested this morning? It was crazy. Schefter said, you know, as of now, as the recording of this podcast is taking place, Bill Belichick is not the coach in Atlanta. And it looks like things are a little bit messed up with uh, the Atlanta Belichick thing, which seemed like a given, you know, over the weekend, earlier in the week, and now maybe he's just asked for too much um, because Atlanta's, you know, now interviewing Vrabel, and w- we don't know what the latest with the Falcons' job is, but it doesn't look like it's an absolute foregone conclusion that it's going to be Belichick. So Schefter in talking about that, it's possible. That Belichick doesn't get any of the available jobs now, but he said, What if Andy Reid wins another Super Bowl and calls it quits? To suggest that maybe Belichick would go to Kansas City. And I thought to myself, No chance Belichick would replace Andy Reid.
2: That's it. That's look, I don't know Andy Reid personally, or Belichick for that matter. But what I know from far away, their styles in handling players and people are drastically different.
1: But it's not even that. It's the idea that Bill Belichick, the GOAT, most people would say, um, is going to wait and then take the Kansas City job, which is teed up to keep winning more after Andy Reid retires? No. If Belichick's going to coach again – I hope it's more challenging than that. That would almost be the equivalent of, you know, LeBron, Bosch and Wade coming together and saying, you know, not one, not two, not three, etc. Like he would be walking into another Super Bowl or two.
2: I know, but that's, that's, that's not going to happen because that's like Barry Switzer I- taking over Jimmy Johnson's team. Exactly. But but Relichek is not that kind of guy. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's just just, but not just for his sake, but for the team to hire him. I mean the team I mean the team would, would be looking for somebody who would create less waves, not more waves. You don't need a culture change when Andy Reid leaves.
1: No. No, I, I it just I, I thought it was the most absurd thing th- that I, I'm like, Adam. Think about what you're saying. There's no chance Belichick, even if it were available, would ever go follow Andy Reid. That's for you know. Th- 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 it's like whomever's whoever's following you is is like. Remember the guy that followed the guy. You're not a follow the yeah. guy guy. You're Bill Belichick. I would like to see him get the Atlanta job. Uh, so would I. I, 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 wanna you know, s-
2: I. I don't buy into this whole – the whole uh, Belichick isn't as good a coach because he didn't win without Brady. Uh, I've, I've done this dozens of times. Most great coaches have not won without one single quarterback attached to their legacy, like Bill Walsh with Montana – Lombardi with Bart Starr, yeah, Gibbs. Gibbs is the rare exception. Exactly. Maybe Parcells. Chuck Knoll. Well, I, I, I know people bring up Parcells. Let me get to that in a second. Chuck Knoll has a losing record without Terry Bradshaw. Okay, just like Belichick now has a losing record without Tom Brady. And while you're right about Parcells, two different quarterbacks, if you include uh, Ostettler. Yeah. Who was the quarterback for his second Super Bowl? The backup. Here's who, who, who Parcells did not win a Super Bowl without. Bill Belichick.
1: I know, I know, and Lawrence Taylor. I mean, it's almost yeah. like it's almost like the combination of Belichick and Taylor equals the great quarterback that he didn't have. I mean, Phil Simms was a good quarterback, and Hosteller yes. wasn't the starter. The entire season, he came in for an injured yeah. Phil Sims and led yeah. him uh, to to a Super Bowl. And, and leading them to a Super Bowl is kind of not really accurate. They, they you know they beat the 49ers in that NFC title game with five field goals, fifteen to thirteen, and then they ran the ball uh, to beat Buffalo and had Buffalo miss a kick um, at the end. But no, I was just uh, Parcells. Um, Parcells just consistently won, you know, without ever having a true star quarterback. Like he got the Patriots. Well, I,
2: think, I think Sims is in that category.
1: I don't. I think Sims is in the Theisman okay. category. I think that they were well, really, I really Joe good players. Our quarterback. Um. I yeah, but he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. He was an no, MVP, and well, I don't. Sims. I know. I, I, that's why I've always. I actually think that Joe was the better quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but I put him in the same category of guys who were really good in their era, but weren't elite and weren't Hall of Famers. Now Joe was an MVP and he deserved it in '83. He that was his best season. Um, Sims was never an MVP. I don't. Oh,
2: just up the Super Bowl. Yeah, just a, He just played. The greatest game he, did play he great ever game. played in the Super Bowl. In the greatest game he ever played.
1: <laughs> yes he did. Yeah.
2: That's what he did.
1: He was like and twenty was two of twenty four or something. Joe's, Yeah,
2: twenty two out of twenty five. Yeah. For like two hundred and seventy yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, I think.
1: Yeah. Denver's I defense think that's was
2: what terrible. he did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and Joe's career, let's face it, his career numbers were hampered by a couple years in the C F L and then a couple years sitting on the bench here in Washington.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, by the way, twenty g- good memory. Twenty-two of twenty-five. I, I think I said twenty-two of twenty-four. Twenty-two of twenty-five. Two hundred and sixty-eight yards, three touchdowns, and okay. their thirty-nine to twenty win over Denver in that Super Bowl. Yeah. And I think that is the highest completion percentage of all time in a Super Bowl. Um. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, yeah, big, interesting weekend. Uh, the, The other conversation, and we may have had this together the other day, is just I do think of the four teams, the pressure is on Baltimore to a certain extent, but I think the pressure may be greater on San Francisco this weekend than any of the other four teams. If they were to lose to Detroit at home, the bottom line is, that Kyle Shanahan's a great coach, and they've assembled a great roster, but they have whiffed badly at the quarterback position, and because of it, they don't have anything to show for it other than a couple of conference championship game appearances and one Super Bowl appearance, but they didn't win it.
2: Okay. Okay, let me ask you a question then. Yeah. That's the conversation, you think, if they lose?
1: Yeah. I th- I've i talked about this all week, and maybe we didn't do this on Tuesday. I think that in the same way that we talked about Josh Allen not being able to get it done when they lost to the Chiefs on Sunday, if Kyle were to lose to the Lions at home, if the 49ers were to lose to the Lions at home, and by the way, they're 0 4 without Debo Samuel this year, so let's see what happens if he doesn't play, then the genius, you know, description, perception, I think takes a big hit. And the other thing I would add to this, Tommy, and it's something that Steven brought up with me yesterday when we were talking about it, Debo Samuel, you know, banged up. George Kittle's been banged up here and there. McCaffrey. Trent Williams is 35 years old. You know, it's not like the window's shut, but they've got some cap issues going into the offseason. And... I, they the window might be at least starting to close a little bit because they are they 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 they're a physical team and yet because of the way those guys play sometimes they miss games and they're not getting younger so yeah pressure on the 49ers this weekend maybe more than any other team what do you say
2: you're probably right i mean detroit I mean, the fans there, they can't believe they're in the NFC championship game. In terms of pressure, Detroit is the Cinderella uh, team uh, right here. They have, they have probably the most likable coach uh, in the playoffs, even more than Andy Reid in and Dan Campbell. Uh, but uh, I'm kind of curious if that conversation of the San Francisco failure includes the new Washington general manager.
1: Um, I don't think it would include him as much, Tommy, because it's all about the quarterback evaluation and failure to find the quarterback. They tried with Trey Lance, and that was obviously a big whiff. Um, You know, the first move that they wanted to make that they never were able to make uh, was for Cousins. They went with Garoppolo. Uh, They've gone with Purdy. I don't think Purdy played well last week. Purdy has not played particularly well without Debo Samuel on the field. Um, and they almost lost Saturday night. Uh, he, he was great in that final drive. Give him all the credit in the world. And I'm not s- sitting here and telling you that Brock Purdy isn't a good quarterback. But I don't see greatness in Brock Purdy at all. Um, I mean, it's funny how that conversation about Brock Purdy has gone here this year. Like, you know, if you dare question... Purdy, because he's a seventh round pick, because that's what people want to say. Oh, just because he's no, just because I've watched him and he's he's good. It's it's all right to say he's okay and not say that he's great. He's not great. There's nothing about the way he plays that's that speaks to you know top t- five, top seven quarterback, even though he was in the MVP conversation. Um, but yeah, uh, house money. Detroit house money really for Kansas City. They weren't supposed to be here. Uh a right. little a little bit of pressure on Baltimore, but I think they took a lot of that off the plate with the win over Houston. But it's probably better that Baltimore is playing Kansas City rather than Buffalo because everybody'll understand if they lose to Mahomes. But the 49ers, they've got to they've got to have something to show for all of this. They've been a great team with a great roster, but they don't have a ring to show for it, and they've only been to the Super Bowl once. Yeah. But Adam's, Adam Peters, to answer your question, I think Kyle Shanahan was the primary decision-maker when it came to quarterback for their roster. I think that's even been said before. And Brian Greasy was actually right. more involved in the Brock Purdy selection than even Adam Peters so he I don't know that you blame Adam Peters for any of the decisions and I don't know that you credit him for drafting a guy that's you know an NFL starter in the seventh round
2: yeah okay
1: so uh since this is your last show of the week the two championship games on Sunday let's start with Baltimore and Kansas City give me a prediction
2: I like Baltimore uh 30 to 20 I think they're I think they're really gonna I mean these Kansas City uh receivers I think I think they're gonna be running for the exits when they face Kyle Hamilton and that Baltimore defense and Roquan Smith and those guys. You know, I, I compare it I remember when Tampa won the Super Bowl with Warren Sapp and, and that crew, uh that was that was the same year that they played uh Washington, right?
1: Um, no, no. They, they lost no. to the Rams in the NFC Championship game the year that they okay, beat that Washington. Was it. Yeah,
2: That was it. That but was they had it. Brad the, Johnson at
1: quarterback the year they won it.
2: Right, right, that's right. The Rams, uh, I mean, the, uh, the Bucs defense always reminded me of a heavyweight champion or any kind of champion in boxing who wins the championship rounds who wears down an opponent throughout the fight, and you don't even notice it until the 10th round comes around and the other guy is just spent. it has got nothing left, and the champion is just getting started. That's how I see the Ravens' defense. I see them winning. I mean, I see them a, a third- and fourth-quarter winning team, and I think they're just, they're just going to beat down on the Chiefs, and it'll take its toll. And come, you know, the third and fourth quarter, the Chiefs won't be able to hold up. They just won't.
1: I agree with you. I I do think Rasheed Rice has turned into, and I I thought I felt this way going back to watching him in college. I, I think he's turned into a legitimate weapon for Kansas City at wide receiver. But I agree with you. I just think Baltimore is much better, um, and uh, that Tampa team's an interesting comparison because remember that's the year after the Baltimore team with that great defense won the yeah. Super Bowl um and in the case of Tampa right correct me if i'm wrong but it was the corner it was Dexter Jackson the the, the safety that won the MVP of that Super Bowl i'm pretty sure uh that that's who won that Super Bowl MVP right wasn't Dexter Jackson remember. a Super Bowl MVP um yeah, he was the Super Bowl MVP, and the Super Bowl went over the Ravens. Anyway,
2: I see, I see a 30-20 Ravens win.
1: 30-20 to 20 Ravens win. All right, um, what about the NFC Championship game, 49ers and Lions?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with Detroit. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Detroit. I think Detroit's going to win this game. Uh, I think Debo Samuel, if he's on the field, is not going to be effective enough. I think he won't be on the field long, uh, like in the last game, and uh, I just think that Detroit will 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 punish them defensively enough and uh, limit their offensive weapons. And they've got they've got some kind of karma going. I mean, I'm I'm going with the momentum and the Detroit love.
1: What's your final score? Detroit's
2: going to win. Prediction. I think Detroit's going to probably win
1: uh, 24-21. Wow. A lion, the Lions finally make their first Super Bowl. By the yes. way, Baltimore beat Detroit in the regular season 38-6. to um, Baltimore crushed San Francisco 33-19. Yes, to 19. Uh, All
2: these good teams, they crushed along the way.
1: I don't know if I mentioned this already on the pod this week. I, I know I mentioned it on radio, but the look-ahead point spreads. Baltimore would be a five-point favorite over Detroit. I actually thought it would have been more than that. Um, and against San Francisco, the look-ahead line is a pick That's surprising to me, given what they did to San Francisco on Christmas night. And then San Francisco would be a two-and-a-half-point favorite over Kansas City, and the Chiefs would be, I think, a three-point favorite over the Lions. That would be a rematch, too. Um, it, it, there's, Unless it's Kansas City-San Francisco, any other matchup is a rematch from the regular season, including Detroit-Kansas City, which we saw as the very first game of the year. All right, Tommy's got...
2: One last thing. Yeah. One last thing. Yep. Uh, this is a statistic I've been hanging on to. Uh, the Ravens have nine two-plus touchdown wins over teams with winning records. That's never been done in NFL history, supposedly.
1: Say that again.
2: They have nine two-plus touchdown victories
1: against winning teams
2: over teams with winning records. Yeah,
1: I Their mean, margin
2: of victory yeah. is two touchdowns or more.
1: Yeah, I mean, they beat Houston twice by more than two touchdowns. Yeah. They crushed the Dolphins. They They crushed the Niners. They they beat
2: the Jaguars by 16. They beat the Seahawks by 34. The
1: Lions by 30. It was 38-6 by 32. 32. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They crushed the Browns early in the year, too, and the Browns were all banged up, and then the Browns actually beat them. Um, I think that's their last loss was the Deshaun Watson win in Baltimore. Uh, well, they they lost their season finale, but I don't count that. They didn't play their starters against the Steelers. Um, all right, uh, that's a good number. Look, I, I mentioned yesterday, per that DVOA metric, Baltimore is the sixth greatest regular season team of all time. Uh, per that same metric, the 49ers this year are the ninth greatest regular season team of all time. So they really – you had two – excellent teams historically this year based on their regular seasons. Uh, Washington still the number two greatest regular season team of all time and the number one all-time Super Bowl winner per the DVOA metric. Uh, They got saved by the Giants who beat the Patriots, who were considered to be the greatest team in 2007 of all time. Um, All right. Uh, We will take a break. We will come back. Ted Leonsis sent out a rather lengthy letter uh, to all of his fans and supporters. Uh, We'll read some of that. And the Wizards made a major change, plus we've got some Terps to talk about. What am I doing? I'm teasing like it's a radio show. We'll be back right after these (laughs) words from a few of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. You need indeed.
1: All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's.
2: Today at Shelly's Back Room is Cuban Day, and it's always great to be at Shelly's Back Room when it's Cuban Day because their special is their Cuban burger. One half pound of Shelly's custom blend. Which is Angus ground chuck, beef short ribs, and beef brisket on a butter toasted roll with Cuban roasted pork loin slice well, with cheese.
1: That sounds crazy. I mean, this
2: is just, <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. Seriously. If Fidel Castro was in Washington, D.C. <laughs> today. Yeah. He, he, would, he would go to Shelly's. He'd say,
1: You'd have Give a story. me one of
2: your best cigars because Shelly's only has the best cigars, the top 25 rated by Cigar Aficionado, and give me that Cuban burger. Mm. Yeah, That's where you want to be. Or Not just today or any day, because they have a menu of excellence, like the Sports Fix does, a menu of excellence every day at Shelley's Backroom. You can find out more at shellysbackroom.com.
1: I'll tell you, the worst thing you do on this show for me is when you read the Shelley's menu when I haven't had lunch yet. Um that, sound, <laughs> that sounds that, that so sounds so good. Great. Oh yeah. I um know. All right. Yeah. Uh so before we get to some of the local sports news uh of the day. Um uh, the Dave Canales, the uh, Tampa Bay offensive coordinator goes to Carolina. So that leaves Washington, Seattle and Atlanta now as the three spots that have yet filled. Uh, their coaching um, uh, uh, vacancies. And I think still, like I said yesterday, I think Ben Johnson's going to be the new head coach. I think that that is a really high probability. I think everything out there points to Ben Johnson getting offered and him accepting the job when the Lions lose. Uh, in They can interview him and they're going to Detroit on, on Monday, but they can't hire him if they're playing in the Super Bowl, as Tommy uh, expects them. Uh, so so Canales to Tampa, Harbaugh to the Chargers, and Vic Fangio got hired in Philadelphia to be the Eagles defensive coordinator. So, Rivera uh, did interview for that job, according to the Post, according to Nikki and Mark Maskey, um, but they hired Vic Fangio to be the defensive coordinator there. I had um, several of you asking me if I knew that the Eagles weren't going to Hire Ron Rivera. When I said the other day, I would highly doubt that the Eagles will hire Ron Rivera to be their defensive coordinator. I think if he ends up with a job, it'll be as a linebackers coach with maybe an associate head coach title, something like that. If he ends up coaching anywhere. Um, no, I didn't know that at all. I just, I just don't think Ron Rivera is going to get hired to be a defensive coordinator. Did you see the defense this year? Did it get any better when he took over the responsibilities? I think he has got some you know, clout in the league with a lot of people. He garners a lot of respect um, among uh, teams and players, so I could see him, if he really wanted it, being on a staff and as an advisor or as a linebackers coach slash associate head coach, something like that, I don't see him having a top three job on a team. Um, I just don't. Uh, and if Philadelphia is the one job that he was interviewing for as a defensive coordinator, that goes to Vic Fangio, who is now 65 years old. Um, uh, I'm surprised that Miami wanted to move on from him, but anyway, um, all right, so I'll give you the first swing at this and I'll set it up for everybody. Ted Leonsis, first of all, Uh, If you even have noticed, the Wizards moved Wes Unsell Jr. out of the head coaching position and into a front office advisory role after two and a half years of being the coach. By the way, when I saw two and a half years, I was like, really? It's been two and a half years for Wes Unsell Jr.? Um, Brian Keefe is the interim head coach. He was on the bench um, with Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, the Wizards are 7-36. and They've got the second-worst record in the league. Um, and defensively, they've been terrible, which was supposed to be Wes Unsell Jr.'s you know, calling card. Um, I'm not sure why they're doing this um, because the intent here is to be a not-very-good team uh, in 2024. But that was followed up a couple of hours later, by a letter that Ted Leonsis has sent out on monumental sports and entertainment, entertainment letterhead titled, Dear Fans and Supporters... I'm writing to update our community of fans, customers, athletes, employees, our union workforce, sponsors, partners, and extended family members regarding last month's announcement that Monumental Sports and Entertainment has reached a framework of an agreement for a a public-private partnership to create a world-class entertainment district at Potomac Yard, the cornerstone of which will be a brand-new state-of-the-art arena for the NHL's Washington Capitals and the NBA's Washington Wizards. That was a long first sentence to a press announcement. Um, And then I'll just net it out from my perspective. He goes on to essentially claim that monumental and all of the teams that are under the monumental umbrella are not just D.C. teams, they're DMV teams. And there's a heavy emphasis on DMV. And there's a big reveal, which, Tommy, I think I told you a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, and that is that 44% of the fans of the Capitals and Wizards live in Virginia. 41% live in Maryland. 15% are from washington dc the teams represent the dmv ted writes and they belong to the entire dmv this will never change i'll add one thing um to this and then let tommy uh have at it with wes unsell jr and this press uh announcement on the update on this not once in this entire letter and i read through it uh, while i was on the air uh because it came through while we were doing radio this morning not once does he mention how any of this will lead to his team's winning more. Specifically, his NBA team. Um, this is all about. Hey, I know you're mad at me. Many of you are for leaving DC, but we're not a DC team. We're a DMV team. All right, have at it. What did you What did you think of the day uh, that was monumental? Oh. Moving Wes Sunsell Jr. into the front office. And this long letter from Ted.
2: Well, you know, it was so funny. Uh, in the email I got from uh, Monumental, it says Wes Unsell Jr. transitions to front <laughs> office role. That's that's the kind of language they use at funeral homes.
1: <laughs> well, there it's the kind of language they use in other places too. Um, I didn't get yes. I didn't get that first one, but anyway, continue.
2: And look, they tried. They tried to protect uh, Wes Jr. this year. They hired two extra assistant coaches. So he had six assistant coaches on his staff. Uh, I'll give you the... I don't know. I didn't check with everyone with the league, but I know the Knicks have four on their staff. Okay? And, and that wasn't enough to protect them. The players clearly were not listening to what Wes had to say. Uh, you know, Ted was very reluctant to do this. I heard because he's very protective of the unsolved family. Right. You can understand that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, for a generation when Wes was not the coach or the general manager, when Wes was a player, he was franchise royalty. Okay. So you can understand why Ted would be protective of his son, but it just wasn't working. Uh, on the other hand, like you say, I'm not sure of the timing. You know, I'm thinking, well, maybe they're worried. Maybe they might have a worry about young players, uh, you know, wasting their, their development moments with a coach that nobody on the team listens to or respects. But there aren't any young players on this team that are really going to be part of their future, are there? No. No. No, there are none. So it's not like he's his presence I don't know.
1: Denny is. is maybe. I don't know.
2: Is is you know toxic to any of these young players they have because we, we haven't even gotten well, they to got, the building of the roster.
1: Koulibaly has played really well here. Okay, in his no,
2: Kulabali. Okay, you're right. So, you're right. And,
1: Kis, guy, and Kispert's like. played better this year. And Denny Avdia is yes. still young. So there are some young
2: players. But yeah, I know. So maybe that's it. Maybe they just say, I mean, because I mean, you want to lose, but you don't want to be, you know, turning the young players' brains in the basketball mush. You want them to de- to develop some kind of knowledge, so when they are a, a functional team again, uh, they'll be able to uh, perform. So maybe that's it. Okay, and it is curious at the timing of the other part of this the uh the dmv letter to fans from ted comes on the day he transitions his head coach as if that even mattered you know uh,
1: yeah i mean this is where i actually think they just don't understand how few people care um, you know that 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 complete and utter show of a press conference and the giddiness which actually was off-putting to me um, that day about how giddy they were about leaving you know Chinatown and and what would you know end up happening. Uh, to that area. Um, and then, you know, this idea that, you know, he's this, you know, transparent Ted and he won't take questions. Um, this is another opportunity for him not to take questions. He basically tries to answer all the questions that he once asked in this long letter. And, um, uh, but you know, beyond that, it, 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 seriously, you could count the number of people that truly care about Wes Unseld Jr. not being the head coach anymore on two yeah. hands. And You're I mean, right. the, the the news came out at like seven o'clock this morning, seven thirty this morning, and then you got the other letter that came out um, uh, a little bit later on. Look. Uh, th- I didn't do this with you, um, but I'm going to share this with you. If you didn't see it, did did you see the interview that Martian Gortat did with Hoopsype.com? No. So he did this. Remember Gortat? What a great guest he was. How you know? Yes. Sense of humor, smart the whole thing. So he did this this long interview with Gortat came out yesterday, and I, I read it and I I retweeted it. I said there's some really good nuggets in here about the time in which, if you recall, the Wizards actually weren't that bad in recent years. They had a good team. They right. had an excellent coach, in my opinion. Um, and uh, he said, you know, we sh- They said, what went wrong during the time during that time? And he said, we we should have kept Randy Whitman as a coach Um, and he said Randy was one hell of a coach and we had a good team. Now he got a little bit crazy in talking about the team back then, about how great it was. No, it was a good team and it was a team that had a chance on a couple of occasions to go to the Eastern Conference Finals and probably would have made it that one year had John not broken his hand. But the point is, is that they got rid of a really good coach in Randy Whitman that was Excellent uh, in 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 holding people accountable. He wasn't everybody's favorite on that team, but he was the right coach for John Wall and Bradley Beal and Gortat. And so they hired Scott Brooks, and Scott Brooks was the nicest guy in the world. Scott couldn't draw up an inbounds pass. At Oklahoma City, when you watched, it was like how many times in clutch situations they couldn't even get the ball in bounds, um, and then they have the big consensus. Like you compared the hiring of Tommy Shepard, but you could also say the hiring of Wes Unseld Jr. to everything that you know you thought and 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 perceived Josh Harris doing with this search committee. My God, the number of people, and I, I don't know, did they use search firms for Wes Unseld Jr.? I mean, and they, he messed that up too. Terrible hire. Terrible hire. And, but but they're, if he's sensitive about the reaction to Wes Unseld not being the coach after two and a half seasons, he doesn't have to worry because nobody cares. It pains me to say that. Because it's the team in town that, you know, other than the, than Maryland basketball and the football team now that I'm a little bit more into now that we've got some excitement here in the offseason and who knows, maybe a new day. I want the Wizards to be good again. I love the NBA playoffs. I want my team to be relevant. And nobody gives a shit. Denton said to me this morning, my producer, what do we do? Should, should we get a guest? I'm like, Nah, no. It's just not – I mean, we've got better things to talk about. I mean, the percentage of our audience that will care about Wes Unseld not being the the coach anymore is minimal. Like, you know, but he had to put this long letter together to, 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 to maybe mask the fact that, that he failed again on hiring a coach. Don't worry about it. Nobody's really obsessing over Wes Unseld not no, working out.
2: Nobody is. Well, here's the thing. Ted is in a PR battle over, over this thing. I mean, this is where the battle is going to be won. Explain. Or lost, you know, in the PR battle on the image. Because over in, over in Alexandria, the very vocal and active Stop the Move organization. Uh, I, I forget what the name of it is. I should I'd probably get the name wrong. Uh, and they have undergone, they have been very vocal and active in their public relations moves, in sending and staying in contact with residents there, in organizing protests, in grilling public officials. Right. And then in the district, you have a group, called, literally called, I think, Stop the Move, that has protested and spoke out against it. And that's a particular thorn for Ted Leonsis, who's about to go into Black History Month, with all kinds of events planned for his arena to honor black history, when you have a group in the district that has couched this, the, 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 leaving the district as a race issue. Yeah. Whether you agree with it or not, that's what, that's, that's, that's what the movement in D.C. against the move has been painted as, as an issue of race. Well,
1: he kind of addressed uh, that the in the letter. With,
2: with, yes, there's with the, the Wizards, but that's 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 the fight that he's fighting at this point. Yeah, I, and I, he's got a rough month ahead of him.
1: I get that. I get that. He, as part of yeah. this long letter to, um, you know, as he said in the opening sen- sentence, to the community of fans, customers, athletes, employees, union workforce, sponsors, partners, and extended family members. Did he leave anybody out? Um, he's got a section. You and
2: me. He's, he didn't, he didn't you know, mention you and me.
1: Uh, he's we we would have questions. Um, he had a section titled Capital One Arena and Downtown Washington D.C. And this is the I'm going to read it real quickly. Um. I want to address the situation around Capital One Arena. We care about downtown Washington, D.C. We are proud of the years of support that we have provided, and that is why we would be open to the opportunity to maintain a presence by continuing to manage Capital One Arena through 2028 and beyond. We intend to continue to support downtown Washington, D.C., and we are confident that in working with the city, Capital One Arena can remain a vibrant part of the fabric of downtown Washington D.C. for years to come. At the same time, it is clear to us and many of our neighboring businesses and residents in Chinatown that the needs of downtown Washington D.C. and its businesses and residents are significant and challenging for the city. Just as Monumental Sports and Entertainment was part of the initial renaissance of downtown Washington D.C., we would like to be part of the next renaissance. So there are two things that I wanted to, to just respond with. Number one is... I, the city's at fault for you know him feeling like his customers aren't as comfortable being at capital 1 arena anymore uh, th- th- that is not on ted that is on the city that is on the mayor All right. It doesn't matter what we said before about Chinatown. I think Chinatown, Penn Quarter, City Center, I think that whole area, I don't have a problem with it. I do recognize it's different than what it was. Um, I still don't think it's like, you know, super dangerous as some people have described, but that's beyond this. The bottom line is many people in his customer base felt that way, and the city didn't do enough about it. And, by the way, they kind of thought he was bluffing all along. Um, so that's, that's – in his defense, they kind of pushed him into doing something, and he did. I wish he didn't, but they kind of pushed him into this. But secondly – the idea that, you know, being able to be a vibrant member of hopefully this next renaissance in this area without the hockey team and NBA team in the building is ridiculous. All right, the,
2: And the big concerts that are now going to be right. in his new arena.
1: Yeah. It's,
2: it's because c- he's going to take the, the first place to take care of for Ted every morning will be his new arena. Of course. And the other one will get the crumbs. They'll get crumbs. And then he has a third arena. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that he needs to throw some crumbs to.
1: Yeah. I, I, well, that's, you know, that's the one at the St. Elizabeth's um, you know, campus right. over there where the go-go plays. Um, I honestly cannot tell you that I know anybody that's been to a go-go game. Uh, I don't.
2: I, I don't know. I've been I've been to boxing matches there.
1: I know you have, and um, they've had some
2: decent crowds for for fights there. Yeah, and it's a nice arena. But I, I like
1: it. But I think he says in that paragraph something that is true, and in his defense, um, you know, perhaps if we were in the same position, presented with the same opportunity that Virginia was uh, proposing, we probably would. I I, I think I uh, it's very possible I would have done. The same thing and come to the same conclusion. The city was not supportive, thought he was bluffing, and came with some sort of late 11th hour offer that still wasn't anywhere near the Virginia offer. Meantime, over the last couple of years, especially post pandemic, you know, there hasn't been nearly the same level of security. On game nights, Ted's had to pay for that out of his own pocket. You don't have to weep for him, but it was more of a city responsibility. I can imagine that there were some frustrating days for the people uh, in the Wizards, Caps, front offices and, and business offices and certainly in Ted's office. But still, I wish that it would work out, but I don't think it's going to. Um, anyway.
2: Well, I'm I'm I, st- I still think there's a chance it's not going to work out. Okay. I mean, I still think there's a chance they're not going to be able to make this move. But you're right. The city is at fault for not taking care of the teams that they had already in their borders before they went, went around flirting with the-, with the football team. You needed to take care of what you have before you try to gr- grab more. But so what- you're 100% right on that. The city fell down. The mayor fell down. This is why they're under tremendous pressure to accommodate and figure out a way to get the football team in the district.
1: Yeah. I mean, it gives Josh Harris a lot more leverage than perhaps he had before, as we talked about a month ago. And also, as we talked about a month ago, I think if you gave sports fans in the DMV – uh, a choice of two of the four pro sports teams to be in the city, they'd pick the Nats and the Skins. They they would pick the football team and the baseball team over the hockey team and the basketball team. Um, so if we end up with that, uh, so be it. And, again, it's not like they're moving to Fredericksburg. Uh, I know. It's, I you know. know.
2: One other thing that yeah. he talked about in the letter, something that – I mean, he's he's been talking about this for over a decade, and I hate it. What? I mean, it's just it's just it's just the, the premise of him trying to show he's smarter than everybody else. The whole super cities conversation. Right. He uses that, like from Richmond to to New York, or from Richmond Delaware. to Boston. We're all just oh. one big city.
1: Yeah.
2: You know. <laughs> yeah. Ted City. Tedland.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah, he called the DMV. The DMV is a super city. We have three international airports, two in Virginia, one in Maryland, dozens of renowned public and private universities, large green spaces, most notably the National Mall, a defining business sector in our case, the federal government, and finally professional sports teams. Well, D.C. is a – Tommy, you've been here long enough, and I've lived here my entire life. This was a completely different city 30 years ago. It is now. I've been here
2: for 40 years.
1: Yeah, it is. It. I'm not going to call it the a, a southern, a sleepy southern city like it was apparently in the 40s and the 50s and even into the 60s. I didn't live during that time, but it was a city with you know for a long period of time that was not a northeastern city personality wise sports teams wise culturally food um etc it was a federal government town with definitely affluence high education um but it wasn't a booming business market there was no tech corridor in northern virginia there was no biotech corridor in Montgomery county um and then It started to change in many ways because of Abe Poland's decision to build the, you know, MCI center in Chinatown. And all of a sudden we became a city of neighborhoods. We were never a city of neighborhoods 30 years ago. Um, I, I don't want that to change. I guess that's my biggest fear is that, you know, you take that area, which was vibrant, you know, not just Chinatown, but the surrounding areas of Penn Quarter, city center, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, somehow it's the beginning of the deterioration of the city. Hopefully that's not the case. But anyway,
2: yeah. uh, But but you just watch. There's going to be a big stepped-up PR campaign by Ted and monumental about this situation. And this is already part of it.
1: All right. uh, Let's finish up. I want to talk about Maryland's surprising win last night at Iowa, uh, and we've got a You Heard It Here first bold prediction for the week. So we'll, we'll get to that and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Do South is throwing the hottest Mardi Gras party in town on Fat Tuesday, February 13th. Get ready to let the good times roll with their legendary Cajun Buffet, live music, and beads galore. We're talking about the most authentic Mardi Gras experience outside of the Big Easy right here in the nation's capital. It's the party of the year. You don't want to miss it. Grab your friends, bring your appetite, and join everybody at Do South. For their Mardi Gras bash in February, good times, great eats. That's how they do it down south, and that's how they're doing it now in D.C. Learn more at dosouthdc.com. Maryland beat Iowa last night on the road, Tommy, um, 69-67. to And Jameer Young had another memorable performance. Uh, he scored 10 of their final 15 points. He scored their last eight and hit the game winner with 1.5 seconds to go. And Maryland uh, beat a team on the road that they've struggled with since they entered the Big Ten on the road. Uh, they haven't had a bunch of wins at Iowa. They were about a six-point underdog last night, and they won the game 69-67. to 67. For those that haven't followed it closely, Maryland's 12-8 and eight right now. They're 4-5 and five in the Big Ten. Uh, They were supposed to be one of the top three or four teams in the Big Ten and an easy NCAA tournament team. You know, the preseason bracketologists had them anywhere from a four seed to an eight seed, somewhere in that range. But they're not a tournament team, and they haven't played to an NCAA tournament team level this year. Now, there's a lot of season to go. There are games left in January. There's a whole month of February. And then there's March uh, before the tournament. Um, But Maryland's played better recently. Recently, they knocked off Michigan. They're terrible, but they beat Illinois on the road a week ago Sunday. Illinois is the 10th-ranked team in America. They lost a heartbreaker at Northwestern, a heartbreaker at home on Sunday to Michigan State, and then they beat Iowa last night, 69-67. The story of the game and the story of Maryland's season, other than the fact that they haven't been as good as everybody expected, is their senior point guard, Jameer Young. Jameer Young went to DeMatha, he went to Charlotte, he transferred to Maryland last year. He was the number one star player on their team last year that went to the tournament and won a game. Uh, And he came back this year as a preseason All-Big Ten First Team selection. And he is having, Tommy, one of the memorable individual seasons in Maryland basketball history. And there are a lot to choose from, as you know. And a lot of you who are listening know Maryland's had some unbelievable individual seasons in the history of their basketball program. But right now, Jameer Young is the second leading scorer in the Big Ten behind Zach Eady, who's going to probably be the national player of the year. Um, He's averaging 20.8 points per game. He leads the nation in a stat called clutch points, which are points in the final five minutes of a game in games that are within five points one way or the other. Leads the nation in clutch points. He's got games that have just been completely... Completely ridiculous. He had 37 in carrying Maryland at UCLA in late December. He had 28-8 and in the upset win against Illinois. He scored 36 at Northwestern last week, where he literally, I think he scored 14 of the team's final 16 points. And put on one of the greatest individual performances in any game by a Maryland player um, uh, in that in that loss at Northwestern, and then last night. He scores the final eight of the game, a step-back three, a three off of a screen, and then a driving layup. I have no idea why Iowa didn't double-team Jameer Young, and the Terps won 69-67. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Jameer Young is going to leave Maryland as as one of the greatest players in the history of the program. That would not be true. But he's in the midst of one of the great individual seasons in Maryland history. Uh, In terms of points... Um, All-time you know, points per game, Walt Williams in 91-92 averaged 26.8 points per game. He had a stretch, which is still an ACC record, of seven straight games scoring 30 or more points. Um, they were on probation that year, but Walt Williams was a, an absolute show. Um, in more recent times, Len Bias led. Uh, it was the all-time scoring leader, or second all-time leading scorer uh, in a season. He averaged twenty-three point two 85 eighty-five, eighty-six. Will Hetzel averaged twenty-three point three back in the sixties. Gene Shue averaged twenty-two something in the fifties. Um, It's not going to be any of the bias seasons, it's not going to be the Dixon seasons, it's not going to be the Albert King season, uh, his junior year, which you could argue is the best season by any Maryland player ever. It's not going to be a Vasquez season, but this is a memorable season and a memorable player. And he is keeping them competitive almost single-handedly. They do have Julian Reese in the post and in on some nights, and he had a good night last night. He's significant. Dante Scott's significant at times. But, Tommy, Jameer Young is a lock to be a first-team All-Big Ten and I think has a chance to be an All-American this year. Uh, whether Maryland makes the tournament or not, He's got a chance to be, you know, among those top three All-American teams. You know, maybe make the the last player on the third team. That may be a bit of a reach. I'll admit that. There's a lot of season to go. But my God, is he a good player. He is insane as a scoring point guard. Uh, and he's kept Maryland competitive, you know, almost by himself.
2: I have not seen him play. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I guess my point is if you haven't seen him play uh, and you have some time away from a Kojak or a Rockford Files repeat, maybe turn him on um, and see and speaking, uh, speaking how, how well Rockford he's playing. Files, I, oh boy.
2: I've got something for you, but we can do it when you heard it here first that you want to talk
1: about. <laughs> Don't talk about it. I just want your prediction. Let's get to our bold predictions for the week. You heard it here first. I've been waiting to hear what the big announcement was going to be, and you got it right here. I heard it here first. All right, Tommy, what's your bold prediction for the week?
2: Well, my bold prediction, I thought that this is just like the zombie segment. This when I think it's dead. It, it, it like, rises from the grave.
1: <laughs> well, is the Mike Tomlin thing didn't work out for you, it would appear. No. No. But it was a, it oh, was you're a great. Are you
2: keeping track of these? Well, no, I so just. Somebody on your staff is paying attention to these. Uh,
1: I just thought that that was a, a really nice, you know, uh, bit you were doing there for a little while with, with Tomlin. I enjoyed it. Anyway,
2: go ahead. That's good. Okay, here's my bold prediction mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh will make it to the Super Bowl before whoever the Washington coach is makes it to the playoffs.
1: I don't think that's that bold. They're not going to be a good team next year, Washington. And the Chargers could be a turnaround in one year with Harbaugh.
2: That's my bold <laughs> prediction.
1: Are <laughs> uh, right, you ready, ready You ready for know, my and, bold prediction?
2: And that's uh, another reason why this team should have went out and hired Harbaugh. Uh, let me give you one more. Okay. You okay? mentioned of the Rockford Files. I found an old tweet. Uh, when Harbaugh had drove driven the pace car at the Indy 500, mm-hmm. and this was Harbaugh's quote: "As the number one fan of the Rockford Files, to follow in the footsteps of James Garner, who did it three times, is a real honor and a privilege."
1: Wow! Number
2: one Rockford Files fan.
1: Well, he's number three. That's behind okay, the two of that us.
2: Speaks. That speaks to a level of intelligence and character. Yeah, that's like asking somebody, "Who is your favorite Beatle?" You could tell everything about somebody if they if they tell you that they love the Rockford Files, right there. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, what is so it? That, who, who was your favorite Beatle?
2: Uh, my favorite was John.
1: Uh, mine was George.
2: Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's it. That's it, like the introspective one.
1: Yeah, and the that...
2: quiet, introspective model there, the, all, which isn't fair is the kind of like shallow not very thoughtful model and john is considered the smart one and ringo considered the clown
1: i'm gonna get the, the 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 book on george harrison apparently is great just came out recently all things must pass um and i i've got that on my list along with whatever else you give me for the summer here's my bold prediction this is this going to knock off the uh, mock schedule opener for Washington really early. The Ravens, as Super Bowl champions, which I think they're going to be this year, are going to open up the 2024 NFL season at home against the Washington whatevers. Probably the Commanders next year. Washington and Baltimore in the season opener next year with the Ravens hosting a game in the first game of the year against Washington. They've got Washington on the schedule at home. Now this will require the Orioles to be okay if they've got a game scheduled on the same day at home. Yes, it will. Yeah. Um, So there you go. There's, There's the first game on my Washington mock schedule. Washington at Baltimore on Thursday night, September, whatever, in the uh, first game of the year. You know you know why, Tommy? Remember, we say every year, they could put anybody up against the Super Bowl champions and they're, they're going to get a big rating, so they don't have to waste it on the Cowboys or anybody else that they play at home. I don't even know who else they play at home. I just know that they play Washington at home. Uh, they play the Eagles at home that's next not, year.
2: That's not so bold. What? <laughs>
1: What are you talking about, not so bold? <laughs> you see? How does it feel? <laughs> they have nine. That's so a nine-to-one shot. Um, oh all right. Anything else? What else do you have?
2: Yeah, I do. I got a story for you. Okay. A Florida story for you. This is the ultimate Florida story. Uh, I have a shirt that has pictures of Laurel Hardy on them. Mm-hmm. It's from a scene from one of their great movies, Sons of the Desert. I urge everyone to watch Sons of the Desert, a, a, a comedy classic. And it's a picture of Lauren Hardy. It's a very colorful picture, lots of colors on the T-shirt. So I wore it to a local cigar store down here to go buy a cigar. And there was a young woman behind the counter who waited on me, and she says, I like your shirt. I like the colors. So it's Lauren Hardy. It's a young girl. Mm-hmm. So I, I asked her if she knew who they were. And she says to me, is one of them Hitler? <laughs> what? Because the Hardy has a short little mustache. Uh-huh. That was her first thought. One of them was Hitler.
1: Mm. Who had Hitler being a part of today's show? Um, <laughs> uh, so what did you say?
2: I said no. No. <laughs> I said no. I, I not, not really. Did I she tried know to who explain... Laurel and Hardy
1: were when you told told her?
2: No, she didn't know who Laurel and Hardy were. Okay. And I didn't really feel like asking her if she knew who Hitler was at that point, because I'm not sure she did. Um, I have a
1: quick question for you. It's not a recommendation, by the way. My wife was watching this show on, I don't even know what it was on. I think it's on FX. I could be wrong. Um, but it was a show about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. I'm actually blanking. I've seen it. What's the name of the show?
2: I've seen it. It's a, ser- it's a series. It's a series.
1: Yeah. Whatever, do you, do you it's remember what bat- it's
2: called? No, I don't. Okay. No, uh, I don't. But I've seen it, and it, I, I enjoyed it. I liked it.
1: Jessica Lange plays Joan Crawford. Susan Sarandon plays Betty Davis. And yes. they apparently hated each other. Anyway... I just sat down as she was watching it and I, you know, got sucked into like two and a half episodes and then I checked out. I I wasn't that interested, but I was curious to find out from you, was Joan Crawford like some insane person? Was was she, I know, um, you know, the, 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 story of, of like mommy dearest, like she apparently was a terrible mother in the whole thing. What was the deal with Joan Crawford? I know that it's a I long mean, time know. ago.
2: Look, she's kind of, yeah, that's before my time. They're I know both it is, but my you typically
1: know bit. this stuff more than I do.
2: I mean, I, I, I know, the only reason I would think she's insane from watching Mommy Dearest, that's all I okay. would know about, and then watching this series a little bit, you know? So I really don't know a lot about them, but I know they were both Hollywood legends, so I was, I was interested in that. That's why I watched the series.
1: Okay. I don't think I have and anything else.
2: One, yeah. one last recommendation on a series that I've given you before, and I've given our listeners, and some of them have picked it up and thanked me for it, is Louder Milk.
1: Yeah, you did tell On
2: me Amazon Prime. I've got to tell you. If you watch a couple episodes of Loudermilk, you'll call me
1: at 3 in the morning
2: to thank me for it.
1: Well, I already, I still have not um, gotten to Fargo Season 2. I mean, Season 1 was so good. Um, and I want to watch Season 2, and I want to catch up on that. So one thing at a time. All right, uh, anything else? You were outstanding today. You did I got a nice nothing job. else for you, boss. All right. Wh- thank you. Tommy... I
2: really appreciate that feedback.
1: Tommy's got Baltimore and Detroit in the super bowl i'll have my preview picks smell test everything else tomorrow have a good day this is jim rockford at the tone leave your name and message i'll get back to you
3: jim it's early at the cleaners you know that brown jacket the one i said looks so great on you your favorite we lost it